All right, so we're kicking off a new series today. I'm so excited for you to be a part of. It's our legacy series, and uh, going to take this week and next week uh, to talk about this. So, a kind of a two part series here, and then the Sunday before Christmas, we'll devote that Sunday to a Christmas Sunday in sermon. But the next couple of weeks, really want to talk about what is a core value here at our church. Many of you have been with us before uh, as we've done our legacy miracle offering, and you may be here for the first time saying, I don't know anything about that. What is it? And uh, let me give you a minute to kind of tell you what it is. Uh, Each year we devote ourselves to what we call our legacy miracle offering. We believe that God calls us from faith to faith, glory to glory. Uh, We wrote it down like this, that uh, the scripture says there's no greater love than somebody who lays down their life on the behalf of somebody else. I don't think there's any greater legacy that could be said about your life or my life than being a person who's known as laying their life down on the behalf of somebody else. And so we do that as a church. We say, all right, listen, aside from our normal budget, our normal uh, things that we've set aside to do, we devote this one time of the year to go above and beyond what we normally do, believing God is going to move when we take a step out of faith. I, uh, a couple months ago, I was listening to a podcast devoted to Steve Jobs. Those of you that don't know Steve Jobs, he created the iPhone and Apple and all those things. And uh, this whole thing, as I was preparing for this series coming up, uh, I do that quite a bit in advance. And so as I was listening to this podcast, they were talking about the legacy of Steve Jobs. They were making um, almost uh, statements about how Steve Jobs could possibly be uh, of any human in human history. Of course, me saying, maybe aside from that guy, Jesus. But uh, they were saying n- nobody would ever have such a thumbprint on this world like what Steve Jobs did. The, the invention of the iPhone and mobile you know, phone and a computer in your pocket at all times and where that's going to go in the future. They say nobody's affected maybe the world more than Steve Jobs. I was also doing some extended reading about the drug cartel, and um, don't judge me for that. I'm telling you the truth. I was doing some advanced reading about the drug cartel. I told you uh, that we were moving. I bought a new house, and so I've been researching some additional income opportunities, so I'm reading about... I'm just kidding. We didn't get a new house. It's, it's, it's a new-to-us house, and I'm not researching the cartel for that reason. But I was reading about the cartel, and same words were used for these drug cartels, the legacy of these certain people and their time in the cartel and their things. And so they're going on talking about the legacy of the legacy of. And I thought, man, what a horrible word to be used in your life that your legacy is of such destruction and pain on countries and people's lives. Are you with me? And then, of course, if last night you watched the absolute thumping of the Michigan game in the Big Ten championship game, you would have heard them talk often about Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the future Heisman Trophy winner, and his legacy and his dad's legacy. And while that's awesome and, and we get excited about that and we're happy about that, especially as a Michigan fan, it also really doesn't matter at all. At the end of the day, they won the game, and his dad won the games, and he has a chance to win a trophy, but there'll come a time where when it comes to eternity, none of that means anything. However, you and I as Christ followers, we have the opportunity to make decisions that will affect not only generations, but it'll affect eternity. Can I get an amen? And that's a great honor, and that's a great opportunity that God has positioned us to be able to make decisions with our life that will affect generations here and now, but they'll affect eternity. I'm grateful to be able to live that way. We wrote it down this way. We said, we believe that life is short, eternity is real, and people matter most. Of all the things we can be involved in, this idea of eternity and people and their value, it's what matters most in our life. Can I get an amen? 
And so we've come up with this, this legacy offering. You know, we don't want to be a church that's always asking for money all the time. Maybe you've been a part of a church where there was either always a cook-off or a car wash or something always going on. We, we just budget our church in a way that we can meet the needs of our ministries. But one time a year, we believe in this sacrificial offering uh, because we see it in Scripture. We see that there's tithing in Scripture, which is 10% of your income is put first and given to God. But then we see that there's an offering. There's offerings where from time to time you're called to give an offering, and maybe you do that. Maybe you uh, meet the need with an offering, whether it be hand-to-hand or in the one-for-one jar, uh, you would give an offering. But then we also see in Scripture uh, that there's times where people gave extravagant gifts. Uh, Pastor Robert Morris calls them painful offerings. Those offerings that are really, you know God's called you to it, but it really pinches a little. How I many you know what I'm talking about? And uh, we put ourselves in situations where we say, okay, God, whatever you're calling us to, we want to be able to put you first. And so we do these sacrificial, what we call les- legacy offerings. And uh, as a church, I want you to know this, these will never go toward ourselves. We never say, oh, hey, we want to do a miracle offering so that the staff can get raises or so that we can buy more printer paper or do common ministry things. No, those common ministry things should have been stewarded well in the budget. Can I get an amen? And, uh, and so it's never going to go to pay a light bill or anything like that. Uh, but what we do is we say, okay, God, what are you saying to us? What are you speaking to us? What is the area that we... We want to take a giant step where we say, hey, we want to go above and beyond what we're already doing. We want to take a giant step. We want to take territory. And that's what we devote our legacy miracle offerings to. And so I'm just excited to tell you this year that we've identified it is so time for the church of God to take a giant step toward teenagers. Can I get an amen? To come alongside a young generation and say, hey, I know you're facing things that seem impossible to you. Are you with me? But we're going to come alongside you and we're going to help show you truth. We're going to help show you love. We're going to show you some acceptance. And we're going to create atmospheres where you can find and discover not only who you are, but how God loves you. Can I get an amen? And so we never put a dollar amount on it. We just say, hey, whatever, whatever you can give, whatever God calls you to give is the amount that we get to do. But specifically on our heart is our student ministries. They take place uh, just down the hallway in our lounges. But what we want to do is we want to transform that area to be a place where teenagers can come and feel safe and get ministered to. Uh, we want to buy new video game systems and get everything in place to be able to do small groups healthy and build a team. We want to be in a position to be strong, take a big step toward our teenagers so that they can be effectively loved. Can I get an amen? So that's what's going to go for this year, and you're going to hear me talk about it today, and you're going to hear me talk about it next week, and uh, I have some more practical instructions for you uh, going forward. But I want to talk about the why before we get into kind of the message of today. But here's what I believe. I believe we're going to take a big step toward our students. They need us to stand up and uh, stand with them. But you might be sitting here saying, well, I understand you're asking for this miracle offering, and you might be considering, is this good ground? I mean, is this a place that maybe God is calling you to a a big offering that you could give? But if I was you, I would ask the question, is this a place that I could give a gift like that? And I just want to give you sort of the structure or the foundation or the soil of this church when it comes to finances. Uh, We planted this church in 2014. Jessica and I went and got training in 2013. And uh, you'll actually get to take a trip down memory lane next week with us as we look at God's faithfulness. 
faithfulness through all of these legacy years. But anyway, we went down and we got trained. And one of the things we got was this uh, group that we got trained by is called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. They spend millions of dollars uh, on uh, figuring out what healthy churches look like. And they came up with this percentage-based bylaw uh, that we literally wrote into the bylaws of our church. Our percentage-based budget, uh, we so believe in that we wrote it into the bylaws of the church. And here's how it works. 35% of our income, some of you numbers people are going to love this. Some of you people who don't care about numbers are going to get bored. So just hang with me for one second. But 35% of everything that comes in, we cannot spend 35%, uh, more than 35% on staff salaries. So of everything that comes in as a church, we cap it at 35%. Now, just so you know, the national averages of churches, they saw somewhere in the 50% range goes to salaries. And the problem with it is a lot of churches fall into a trap. They say, oh, if we could just build the dream team, if we could just hire a great team, if we could just get an awesome team and pay all these people, uh, then we'll be able to reach the city and make a difference in our community. And unfortunately, they pay all these people and then they don't have money to minister and therefore they can't make a difference in their community. Some of you might have had that experience and churches you've been at. So they say 35% is what we're going to put it at. The next category that we have a 35% uh, budget set is when it comes to our facility, what we can spend on either rent or someday in the near future, can I get an amen, a mortgage. <laughs> 35% is our limit on what we can spend on rent or a mortgage. Why? The same thing. They saw that so many churches fell in traps where they said, hey, if we just build the building. They have this field of dreams mentality. If we build it, the people will come. And so they build these big buildings, and unfortunately, they can't get people in them, and so they spend all of their church resources on a facility, and they don't have any money to minister to people. And again, the national average in the communities are a lot of churches spend about 50% of their income on their facilities. And so we saw, nope, 35% is the healthy number. Uh, we're not going to go above 35% when it comes to our facility. Another sad statistic is that many churches don't do what I'm about to tell you we do, which is tithe. Churches, we give 10% of our income. We tithe as a church, which you're going to like this because every time you tithe, then we take that tithe and we tithe. And so you're double dipping. And you Dutch people like doing that. I know you do. <laughs> we tithe as a church. And unfortunately, so many churches don't do that. They don't set a portion of their budget to go back into church planting and church organizations and missions and things like that. I actually have pastor friends and groups that I'm in that they exaggerate this number. They say, oh, well, the, the feather flags that we put out and when we buy T-shirts, all of that stuff is missional. It reaches people. No. Are you with me? That's marketing. That's not missions. And so, unfortunately, churches have kind of messed with that number, but not us. We, we reinvest into other things. So 10% of what comes in goes back out. And then it, it leaves us with the remaining 20% of what comes in is how we perform our operations. So, again, printer, paper, all the things that we do to function as a church comes from that 20%. And, and you say, well, Pastor, you know, why are you telling us on that? Well, because I believe that if you're faithful with little, God gives you more. And can I tell you that any time we've ever had to make a higher Okay, we're, we really believe that we want to make a hire and bring somebody in. Do you know that over time we've seen that 35% number, uh, the money increase, and that, that's gone up? We've been able to hire who we needed to hire. Anytime that we've ever wanted to add on in the facility and rent more space and make renovations, do you know that God started to give us more, give us to more, where that 35% number went up to where then we could add on in the building? Are you with me today? Because God is, if you're, if you're faithful with little, God gives you more. And why am I saying all this? I'm saying I believe that this is good soil. But not only do I believe that it's good soil, I also believe that it's a mandate on a church to be people who are multiplying and reproducing itself. Too many churches get to a position where they say, you know what, this is cool. 
yeah, you know, I like most of you. This is all right. So we'll just stay here. And they get to this thing. The statistic is actually this. 4% of churches are reproducing or multiplying. Only 4%. Do you know that that's not even close to the number that we need to be able to reach America? The reproduction rate and the growth rate in America has, is not even close to 4%. We need to be multiplying and reproducing. Well, how do we do that? We do that when, as a church, we identify what are the areas that we need to take big steps toward. And this year, it's reaching our teenagers. Amen? The average church is 70 people and declining. 70 people in declining. Why? Because they have forgotten how important it is for us to take big steps toward taking territory. We write it down. I wrote it down like this. Impossible is where God starts, and miracles are what he does. We want to be in position as a church where impossible is what we're facing so that then God can step in and do the miraculous. I wrote it down like this. William James says, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. What are we doing in our lives that's going to live beyond our time here on earth? What are we positioning ourselves in that are going to go on into eternity? So I want to share with you today, we see uh, 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 two women in Scripture that teach us the importance of generational legacy. Uh, There's these two women named Lois and Eunice, and I'm going to teach you about them, but I want to make one thing clear. They're women, and God used them. Can I get an amen today? We'll get into that in a second. (laughs) So... Lois and Eunice, they're the grandmother and mother of Timothy. Many of you have heard the name Timothy. Uh, Timothy is well known throughout scripture. He is sort of the sidekick or the teammate to Paul, the apostle Paul. Uh, We know that apostle Paul is known as like the greatest apostle. Uh, Much of what we know and much of what I preach and churches are built on was given to us uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul. And so we're really standing here connected to Paul, who was very connected to Timothy, but Timothy gets much of what he was uh, based in and raised in from his mom and his grandmother. Here's some things we know about Timothy is that Paul wrote to Timothy uh, two times, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Many of you might not know this, but 1 and 2 Timothy is not actually Timothy's writings. It's Paul's writing to Timothy. So a bunch of those teachings we get are Paul to Timothy. Paul knew Timothy so well, paid so attention to his life, uh, that he knew these things about him. He said to Timothy, hey, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on your youth. He knew he's young. He knew that people were putting pressure on him of his youngness. He said, don't let anybody look down on you. He knew uh, that Timothy was educated. He said, Timothy, he said, yeah, find yourself study. You found yourself study and approved and education. He knew that he was well uh, studied. He also knew that he was gifted. He told him, uh, fan into flame the, the gifts that God has placed on the inside of you. So Paul's saying, hey, you're gifted here, and you need to flame those things. Uh, he also was the bishop. Timothy went on to be the bishop of the church of Ephesus. All these accolades are amazing is what I'm trying to get you to say. All of these things are big deals. Timothy has this connection uh, to Paul. All of these great things got done. But the key to all of this backs all the way up to a grandma and a mom who invested into a generation. Are you with me today? Said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impart these things. We're literally sitting here following Christ and knowing what we know. And it all backs up to a generational deposit that happened from uh, these wonderful women. Second, or Second Timothy chapter one, verse five, let's read about him. It says this, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Write this down. 
it's possible to have a kind of faith that endures for generations. It's possible for you to have a kind of faith that endures for generations. Church, that's good news. It's good news that when you hear the news of, oh, this is getting darker and this is getting worse and this is getting bad, you can say, well, no, hold on. I got a promise that I can have a faith that endures for generations. We can make a difference and make an impact now, but it can also live on for generations. We see that the scripture talks about how God is speaking to Abraham of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm a God who sees you in generational covenant. Can I get an amen today? So when we as a church say, hey, we're going to stand with the generation, that's just not for a 20-year period. I believe what we do now can make a generational impact. Can I get an amen? Your faith is personal, but it's not meant to be private. Your faith is personal to you. It's your faith. It's your relationship with God. But that's never meant to be something private. It's something that's supposed to live on beyond you. My prayer, and I hope it's your prayer, that someday at your funeral, they get up and they talk about, man, he was a woman of faith. She was a woman of faith, and she shared. And I know this about her life, that she loved her God, and he loved his God. And they share about instead of, I think they were kind of religious. I think they went to church, but they kept it so private. No, no, we need to be a people that we're investing generationally, that our sincere faith makes a difference for years to come. Can I get an amen today? Uh, I wrote it down like this. If it happened to you, it's so that it can happen through you. If God ever blessed you, if God ever brought you breakthrough, if God ever positioned you in a way that you've been blessed and you're able and you're walking in victory, God allowed those things in your life so that you can transfer those things into people's lives. God wants you to transfer those things into next generation, so we have to think that way. I wrote it down like this. The most significant thing you can do, the most significant thing you can do, in my opinion, is not preach a sermon, is not start a ministry, is not become a missionary, is not sing in a worship band or write worship music. I think for many of us, the most significant thing you can do in your life is raise your children. And we say, oh, no, look at the pastor. He's changing the world. Oh, no, look at the evangelist. He's changing his world. Oh, no, look at the mom. Look at the dad who's taking the time to invest in his kid and changing a generation. Can I get an amen today? We're, we're, we're making an impact. We're making a difference. The most important thing you might ever do is, is reach a student, is to reach out to somebody and pay attention. And that's what we're going to do as a church. Uh, I wrote it down like this. We're going to take a look at the life of two heroes of the faith. Two heroes of the faith, faith, Lois and Eunice. Two heroes of the faith. And I don't have a problem calling them heroes in Scripture, even if they are women. Can I get an amen? For years, religion has tried to suppress women. For hundreds of years, Religion and religious spirits have tried to suppress women's voices in ministry. Are you with me today? And this story teaches us that because of the sincere faith of women, it affected generations. Can I get an amen today? So I just want to speak to this for a minute because I want it to be made clear that this church celebrates the call of God on women's lives. I'm not going to be somebody who tells my daughter, oh, God's truth is real, and you got to hide scripture in your heart, but you can only share that in certain environments. Can't share it to a man, can't share it from a pulpit, can't share it from a thing. I believe if God's truth is truth and truth sets people free, I'm going to tell my daughter to say it anytime she wants to. And she's going to say it any place she wants to. Are you with me? Because we celebrate the call of God and we see in the scripture that generations were impacted because of the sincere faith of a couple women. Uh, I thought about it like this. If a woman can birth Jesus, 
she can preach Jesus. If a woman can carry the message of Jesus coming, I believe that the woman can share the message of Jesus returning. Can I get an amen? I put it down like this. Uh, You see in scripture that Jesus empowered women to preach all the time. You see, the first evangelist that Jesus ever empowered in Scripture was the woman at the well. He's over here, and he's telling her about things, and they're talking about things. And then what does he tell her to do? He says, hey, now, now that you have this revelation of, of God and of the kingdom, he says, now go and what? Tell the whole city. Go into the city. Go be an evangelist about this truth that's been given to you. I wish I had some people in here who supported women. Can I get an amen today? He says, go and tell the city. Who's the first person that Jesus appeared to upon his resurrection? It was a woman. He shows up, and there's Mary Magdalene. He shows up, and he says, and it's the first woman on the scene. Why was the first person he appeared to a woman? Because he knew if they knew, they'd tell everybody. (laughs) If a woman knew, they'd be telling everybody. That message would go quick if a woman knew. But there's these teachings that have been misunderstood. Paul said a few things that get very misunderstood, and I believe religiously suppressed by, by leaders. But there's all throughout Scripture. You see uh, a woman named Junium, an apostle in Scripture, called an apostle who worked with Paul. In, in one of the highest forms of ministry you can be in, Paul's in partnership with. We also see uh, that uh, in history, think about this lady, Junium is her name. They, uh, at one time, they got caught removing her name from a female name to a male name until somebody got manuscripts and said, hold on a second, why was her name changed? It was this, because religion has been trying to suppress women for many, many years. Priscilla is also in Scripture, a pastor and a teacher, She's a co-worker with Paul because you see in Scripture, Paul is working with women in ministry because that's God's heart. There's this woman named Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. Uh, she's not as cool as the Phoebe we know, but, but she's in Scripture in Romans chapter 16. And Paul says this about her, that Phoebe poured into his life, ministered into his life, uh, truths and things about God and understandings and revelation. How much more so should we be a, a people in this hour believing that God will use women to their sincere faith to change generations? I wrote it down like this. The same Holy Spirit dwells and empowers men is the same Holy Spirit that dwells and empowers women. Can I get an amen today? But none of that really had anything to do with my skin. Are, are, are you guys with me today? <laughs> Why am I bringing it up? Why am I saying it? Because here's what I believe is so accurate. Is the scripture said that the sincere faith of these women, I wrote it down like this. If we're going to make a difference in generations, if we're going to make an impact among our teenagers, we have to be a people who choose to be sincere over putting on a show. If we're going to make a difference in a generation, we have to be people like them carrying sincere faith. Listen, you can be acting like a Christian and fool me. You can fool the pastor. You can act like a Christian and fool your friends. You can act like a Christian and fool social media, but you you can't fake it. You can't fool young people. They see right through you. They see when you're being fake. They see when you're being a poser. We'll never affect a generation unless we're sincere. Uh, I wrote it down like this. Sincere, to be sincere, means to be without hypocrisy. We can't say that we want to see generations change. We can't say that we want to see our young people raised up in the things of God. We can't say that we want to see our schools uh, helped and hold and healed. We can't say that if we aren't putting our money where our mouth is. If we aren't sincere in wanting to see God touch the next generation, if we're not sincere in it, then we'll be hypocritical. I wrote it down like this. God won't bless who you pretend to be. And God can't grow who you pretend to be. 
If we want to see the next generation reach for God, we need to be sincere about it. Uh, they put us in this kind of awkward situation that we're in in ministry. Uh, I was a youth pastor for like 15 years, and uh, I was in like the finest hour of youth ministry. I was a youth pastor when youth ministry was first coming on the scene where uh, they were building facilities for student ministries and it was pool tables and video games and resources and all these things. And they were building these, these brands for student ministries. And it was sort of this big thing. And uh, a lot has changed since then. It's not really that way. And so I love my time in youth ministry. I love my history of, of student ministries, but we've been put in a really bad position nowadays because when I attend church conferences or I read church blogs, a lot of times the emphasis is pushed towards pastors of, hey, you got to give up on student ministries because it's a dead ministry. They say the reason that it's dead is because back in the day, uh, you know, schools used to respect Wednesday nights. It was a wanna night. It was Wednesday night. There was no sports. There was no activities. It was like that was the night that students would go to church. And uh, that's not the case anymore. And then they used to respect weekends. Remember, you wouldn't have traveling sports on Sundays and things like that. Well, now on Sundays, you have teams and sports traveling all over the place on weekends. And so it's a hard job to find the perfect day for all students to be together at the same time. And so they just say, hey, give up on it. Do do the best that you can. Uh, Maybe your students will be able to receive something from a Sunday morning. And uh, I hope I'm not too old for you students that are in here. I hope I'm okay. But... uh, best that you can get, you know, whatever they can get on Sunday, let's hope. And uh, the other category that they see is they see the student ministries that are thriving, that are actually doing well, are unfortunately entertainment-based. It's video games, it's free food, it's just all hangout hour. And so those ones, even though they're thriving, they're not discipling anybody. They're not actually advancing young generation. And the ones that are struggling are the ones that are over here trying to be small group based and they're trying to preach the word and they're trying to develop and create spaces of worship. And those ones are struggling. And then I also have to say a big problem in the middle is the lack of parents sending their kids and supporting their kids going. But that's another sermon another day. Can I get amen? (laughs) But I'm not going to look at the statistics. I'm not going to look at the data and what the professionals tell me and say, hey, it's a dead ministry. Let's just leave them out there on their own. Because the reality is what our teenagers are facing in school, I literally categorize as inhumane. The things that are being pushed and promoted and put on them is not anything that they should physically, emotionally, psychologically, even be having to compute at their age. Are you with me today? And they need a place where they can come and someone can tell them the truth and show them what real love feels like. Can I get amen today? Can I tell you something that the results in Oxford would be a lot different if there was a body of Christ who actually took the time to know that young person? If there was environments in place where that young person could go and work out some of his mental health issues. What did we see in Paul? We said we saw that Paul knew Timothy. He was in his life in enough of a way that he said, hey, I know your gifts and hey, I know people look down on you and I know these things, but I'm standing with you in support. That's what the church needs to do for teenagers. Can I get amen today? we got to stop leaving it to government and counselors and all these other kind of things. We need to be a people who get there first. Can I get an amen? If the church isn't creating places for students to talk about things, then they'll go to the world to talk about things. And the answers that they're going to get from the world are the answers that they don't need. You've heard me say this before, that whoever says it first leads the way, which means everybody who tries to come in and undo what was said first has to work so much harder to undo what was said first. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say the church needs to be first in what we're saying in someone's life. The scripture actually tells us this. It says this, 
uh, I noticed the sincere faith, they said, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. It first lived. It was first in them, and then it made its way into another generation. Many of us feel like being first is a burden. Uh, If you ever grew up with an older sibling, this would have happened to you. Uh, because I had a younger sibling. And so as an older sibling, this is what you do to your younger sibling. If you're not sure how something's going to work out, you say, you go first. (laughs) Go ahead. Let's see what happens to you. Let's see what's going to happen to you. You go first. In golf, people think I'm being polite when you're on the putting green and everybody has the chance to putt. And I say to somebody, no, no, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you go first? But really what I'm trying to do is steal their putt line. Let's see how that turns out for them. (laughs) Then I'm going to make an adjustment. Uh, I'm not polite. I'm a cheater, you know. But a lot of us in the real world, we don't want to go first. We want somebody else to try it out. But there is significant blessing in being the people who go first in the kingdom of God. Let me prove it to you. How many times in your life have you decided to do something first and then others followed you? You did something first and it paved the way for someone behind you. Maybe you were the first one saved in your family and then other people followed you. Maybe you were the first one to get baptized and then other people got baptized. Maybe you were the first one to ever serve in a church and it opened the door for other people in your life to become people who serve or give a gift or whatever it is. Why? Because when we go first, it leads generations behind us. Can I get an amen? Cornelius is a Roman guard, and we see this about his life. He's a high-up Roman guard. And the scripture says about Cornelius, when he got baptized, the rest of his family then was inspired to go and be baptized. We see the jailer, Paul and Silas. Uh, There's this jailer who's over them. And when Paul and Silas got their miracle in jail, uh, the, the jailer says to them, what must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 16, verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then they go on to say, you and your household. Why did they say that? Because they know that if you go first, generations will follow. Verse 34 goes on to say this, the jailer then brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe God, he and his whole household. I believe that can be the testimony of our church, that if we go first standing up for our generation, it will lead the way for those behind us. Can I get an amen today? I want to just kind of give you a side note on this too. They said that he brought these people of faith into his home for a meal. If you want to make a difference in your teenagers' lives and in your family's lives, you need to be bringing people of faith into your home. You need to be bringing people of faith around your table and having faith conversations. If the only time your kids are seeing people gather is at holidays and you guys are all bickering about politics and you're whining about this and you're saying about this and and all your kids are hearing conversations of negativity and complaining and uh, you say, well, no, I'm just venting. No, you're just negative. Get some people of faith in your life. Let them see some conversations of you getting together and talking about the goodness of God in your life. Can I get an amen? And so that's what he did here. He brought them in. They have people of faith, and it was inspiring to his family. Uh, I'll close with this. Scripture says it started with Lois and Eunice. It started with them, and it changed generations. It went on to change the world. And I'm just here to say this, that I believe it's going to be the testimony of this church that it starts with the Legacy Miracle Offering, and it's going to go on to change our community. I wrote it down like this. Any generation that is unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next generation. We can't be a people unwilling to sacrifice, and it costs us the next generation. The scripture says that tomorrow is promised to no man. If we don't plant today, we can't harvest tomorrow. If we want to make a difference in our young people, if we want to make a difference in the next generation, we got to begin to plant the seed now. 
Our greatest legacies will not be something we build, buy, brand, our 401k, an investment property, or something you acquire. Your best investment, I believe, will be something that you raise. Our best investment as a church will not be a building we build or a steeple place that we have or our our, our doctrine, little classes that we put together or how slick we do all of these things. Our legacy that will make an eternal thing will be the people that we raise in our family of God, the teenagers that we come alongside. We spend so much time in our life making sure our kids are in the right neighborhood. They're going to the right school. We're making sure they know how to play sports and have the right activities. We make sure that they're going to get into the right college. And we miss what's most important, which is do they know God? Do they know God's truths? I hope we don't work harder making sure our kids go to Harvard than making sure they make it to heaven. We need to know, we need to make sure they know about the things that matter eternally. Are you with me? And we're going to be a church that steps up and stands in with our teenagers and says, hey, we're going to do all that we can do to make sure you know God's truth. We as a church family have the opportunity to raise strong students who will change the world. How are we going to do it? Through sincere faith that we're going to pass on from generation to generation. And I believe it's going to start with a miracle offering and then God is going to do the miraculous on top of it. Amen. Next week, you'll be so inspired, especially if you're new. You're going to get to go through year after year of how God has been so faithful and so miraculous through our legacy offerings. So don't miss next week. But I'm going to give you the practical how-tos. You might be sitting there, okay, like, well, now what do we do? I do want to make an impact. I do want to be a part of the legacy offering. Let me share this scripture with you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. This is in the Passion Translation. It says, make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seeds that was planted. If you plant corrupt seeds of self, life, into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap beautiful fruits that grow from everlasting life of the spirit. Pastors always use this scripture to be like, watch what you're planting. You don't want to reap the negative. You don't want to reap the thing. I'm just up here to say, let's watch what we're planting. Because if we plant good things, God's promising beautiful fruit. Can I get an amen? Our schools are going to be full of beautiful fruit. Our communities are going to be full of beautiful fruit. Why? Because we're planting good things in God's perfect soil. I wrote it down like this. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. God is always looking for us to plant. A life not lived for others is not a life. Mother Teresa, another woman, by the way. The, decision we make, the decisions we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. What do you want the stories to be in Zealand, Holland? Borkilo, where's my Borkilo people? Do we have a school? I got to find out. Do we have a school? <laughs> what are the stories you want to be said about your community? Make some decisions today about that then. Make some decisions this month about it as we're going after God in our legacy offering. The goal isn't to live forever. It's to create something that will. What we build in our name doesn't last forever. What we build in his name does. You say, okay, how do I do it? Here's all I'm asking you to do. Don't do anything that I've talked you into. Don't do anything that you think you should do because I asked you to. I want you to do what God tells you to do. So my next step for you is maybe grab an envelope on your way out at the giving box, take it home, pray over it. 
uh, or just go home this week and pray. God, are you asking me to be a part of the Legacy Miracle Offering? You can give online if you feel ready. There's a drop-down menu for Legacy Offering. We'll be receiving the offering all month long. I know many of you prepare for this every year, and uh, at the end of the year, you look at your numbers and you do year-end giving. Uh, I just want to let you know, as long as you get this giving in right before midnight on New Year's Eve, as long as it's right within this year, it will be on your 2021 uh, charitable tax donation receipt. And, uh, and so as long as it's in there, you can do it that way. Uh, but my, 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 my next step for you is just pray about it. Don't do anything that I'm, I'm pressuring you or coercing you to. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells you to do it this way. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 in the Passion Translation, it says, Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Uh, hilarious is like eager. Somebody really excited to do something. Maybe you got a surprise plan for somebody. You can't wait to see somebody. That's the hilariousness. Of like, I can't wait to see this. God loves people who can't wait to be generous. Saying, be those people. Second Corinthians in the NIV 9-7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, somebody excited to give. So my encouragement to you is just consider what God is saying to you to give. Think about the amount, pray about the amount, talk to your spouse about the amount, and, and then give what God tells you to give. And again, you have all month to wait on the Lord and see what that is. But I can't wait for us to be the people who said, hey, we, we went first and it changed generations. We, we put it in the ground so that we have good fruit in years to come. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for what you're going to do. Lord, I thank you that over these next several weeks, Lord, you're going to speak to us about how we can sincerely change a generation through sincere faith. God, we don't want to be hypocritical people who just see things that are out of order and we walk away. But instead, God, we, we want to mean it when we say that we care about seeing the next generation changed. Lord, I thank you that you're empowering people to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.